Well, I think that um, Pastor EJ might need to work a little harder because job security might be, you know, on the line with all those kids. That's our new worship team. We're just going to have the kids every single week, like, just come up here. That'd, that'd be all right. No, that's awesome. I love this idea of getting to see all of those kids and thinking about years down the road that these are going to be, you know, the next generation of people that are going to be teaching their children, their grandchildren, and passing on the faith that has been passed to us that we have this responsibility for. And so that's why we have tried to empower our families here at BCC through even small ways, like giving out the devotionals that we gave out, the unwrapping the names of Jesus and tying that to the series that we've been in. The whole purpose of that is to help invest, right? It's not just for us. It's thinking bigger than us. It's thinking beyond us. It's thinking, man, we want to make sure that we're investing a love for Christ because when they come of age and they see their need for Christ, we want them to see value in how we, the current generation of adults and people who have been given leadership responsibilities, we want them to see that we have taken our faith seriously and that it's bigger than a Sunday thing, amen? It's bigger than just once a week and that they see us living this out and they see the value of Christ in our homes. And so that's why we've empowered our church and equipped our church with those types of things and that's what we want you to be able to do, to keep that focus on Christ throughout this Christmas season, but always. Like I I, I love Christmas, love Easter. I think those are great times to put uh, emphasis on certain aspects of Christ, but I don't think that it's a time to put more emphasis on Christ because we should always be putting emphasis on Christ in our homes. Amen? All right. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to uh, go into this series just a little bit more talking about unwrapping the names of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about Jesus being the good shepherd. But when you think about a shepherd, what do you think about? Like, what's the first thing that kind of pops in your head? I know what pops in my head because the way I grew up, we had like these like prints of Jesus that were like of paintings. We didn't have the actual painting. We had like the print and there's one of Jesus like looking off in the distance. Like how many of you grew up with that picture? It's just like, you know, his, his face looking off in the distance and there's like a glow behind, you know, his head. And then there's another one that's Jesus and he has like a lamb around his shoulders. You know the picture that I'm talking about. It's kind of classic. If you have one of those giant family Bibles that, you know, uh, people used to have like on their coffee table, the big giant ones, they had like some photos. And one of those photos is Jesus as the good shepherd. He's like got flowing hair. He's got like a, a, a staff and he's got his, you know, white robe on with the blue sash. He's got this, this lamb draped around his neck and it just, It gets you when you look at it, because we like to think of Jesus that way as a shepherd. And that's how most of us would picture Jesus as a shepherd. But if you think about the actual job of a shepherd, if you think about the conditions in which they worked in, it's really that picture is a far reality from what a shepherd actually was. Because imagine, as a shepherd, you know your job wasn't just to punch in and punch out, you know, of caring for the sheep. You lived with the sheep, and a lot of times you were the only one living with the sheep, depending on the herd size. And so here you are, lonely, surrounded by sheep who are making noise all day long and who aren't the smartest creatures on the planet, 
who constantly need to be corralled, who constantly are doing things that are causing problems. And then you have to be on alert for all of the dangers surrounding them because the sheep don't know. They need to be led. They need to be directed. They need to be guided. They need to be protected because they have no real defense mechanism of their own. Like, what are they going to do? Bite you? You know, like that's about all, you know, sheep aren't covered with spikes or anything like that. They have to be protected. They're, they're vulnerable. And so the shepherd had a big job, and he lived amongst them. I mean, he would sleep on the ground at night. I mean, it was one of the lowest jobs of the ancient world. And guess what else sheep do? They smell. And so you smelled like sheep. It was obvious if you were a shepherd because you had a certain, how you say, um, je ne sais quoi. Um, uh, you had a certain aroma about you. That, uh, that, that people knew you were a shepherd and you were kind of that guy that wasn't like socializing with everyone as a shepherd because your focus was the sheep. So like when you would go into town, you're probably like, you either were really excited to see people or you didn't know how to interact with people because you'd just been around sheep all day long, you know? So you're always guiding and leading and it's hard work to care for this flock of animals. And you knew each one's individual needs and you knew where to lead them because your job was to make sure that they had places of pasture and that they would be safe. And it was difficult. It was dangerous. And when we think about Jesus as the good shepherd and he, he's compared to a shepherd, it helps us to see the heart of God for his people and it helps us to grow in being able to trust him more because we know that the good shepherd cares for his sheep. If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to go over to the 23rd Psalm. So go over to Psalm 23. This is one of those passages of scripture that can carry with it maybe um, just a little, a, a little bit of uh, a preamble that uh, I want us to understand. A lot of us have heard the 23rd Psalm at a funeral, or we've heard the 23rd Psalm, and maybe it was something we were, uh, you know, tasked with committing to memory for a certain purpose and whatever the case may be. And it can be a very familiar passage of scripture. Another scripture that has kind of the same connotation would be like a John 3.16. Like Psalm 23 and John 3.16 kind of have that same thing. And so I want to give you a warning in that because when something is really familiar, we can tend to kind of glaze over it or just blaze through it or move through it really quickly instead of really thinking about it. So I don't want the familiarity of this passage to get you to check out and think, oh, I've heard this, or oh, I know this. I want this passage as we read it to stir in us an understanding of what this good shepherd does and, what, and who Jesus is so that we can grow in trusting him more. So let's read this. Psalm 23, verse one, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. Think about what we've just read here in relation to Jesus. The very first thing that David writes is the Lord is my shepherd. He's the leader. He's the Lord. We talked about this a few weeks back where we talked about the difference between Jesus being just savior for some people where we like the idea of forgiveness, but we don't really want him to be Lord. We don't really want him to be leader of our lives, but because we want to call the shots, we want to still do our things our way. But when he's Lord, it requires submission. It requires trust. This is this idea here. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is the leader. He's the Lord. He's the one that leads me. And I can trust that wherever he takes me is going to be good, even if it doesn't feel good, even if it doesn't always feel safe and secure. Because you and I, we live with this value system of always wanting to feel safe, always wanting to be secure. And think about it. When we go anywhere, we're always looking and asking the question, am I safe? We're, all, we're almost never not asking that question. Anytime there's a noise, what do we do? What, what, what was that? What was that? What are we wanting to know? Am I safe? Is everything okay? Can I be okay? And, and, and a lot of times we, we'll go into a restaurant. First thing we do is we scan the restaurant. Some of you guys that are military or you're police, you go and you, walk, you look a little further. I know what you guys do. You pick certain booths you want to sit in, certain seats you want to sit in. Even in church, you're like, yeah, honey, we're going to sit over here in this spot or this spot because I have the, the advantage, right? And I know, I know how certain people think. But it doesn't matter if you're military or police or whatever. Everyone wants to feel safe all the time. So we're always asking that question. Am I safe? Is everything okay? And if there's anything that threatens that, man, we get anxious and we begin to worry, we begin to wonder. And here, this idea is that he is my safety. He is the one that makes me secure. Not my ability to control my surroundings. Not my ability to control the things around me. Because if I limit my safety and my security to what I can control, then there's limits to my safety. There's limits to my security. There's limits to my comfort. If I want to just say, well, what I can touch, what I can control, what I can do, that's, that's how I know I'm safe. No, we have to trust him because he'll lead us into places that we're like, are you sure about this, Jesus? Are you sure you want me to go here? Are you sure you want me to do this? And it can feel very scary. It can feel very unsure, especially if it's entering into a part of life that maybe we never have stepped into before. It can be very unsettling at times, but yet he, we know he's leading us where we need to be, and he's gonna provide for us. He's going to take care of us because the second part of that very first verse is the Lord is my shepherd, and what does it say? I shall not want. So it's not based on all of the things that I feel like I need to be successful, all the things that I feel like I need to be secure. No, I know he's gonna provide for me because where he leads, I can trust that it, he's still going to take care of me. He's still going to provide, even in the places where I'm like, are you sure about this, God? Because he is faithful and he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I love the, 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 the passage of scripture where the disciples were wondering, like, what are we gonna eat? Where are we going to go? We're following Jesus. We don't know. It's in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus says, why are you guys worrying about this stuff? Don't you see how God clothes the lilies of the field? He said, they don't 
try to make themselves that beautiful. They don't try to do those things. It's not any effort of their own. It's something God does. It's, a, it's something he's created. What about the, the birds of the air? Think about the sparrows. Don't you know that there's not one that falls that he's not aware of? Don't you know that he provides the things they need to be able to eat? He takes care of them. He said, so why are you wondering about what are you going to wear? What are you going to eat? Where are we going to do? Don't you know I'm the good shepherd? He said, he's telling him, don't you know I'm good? Don't you know that if you follow me, don't you know I'm going to provide for you? I'm going to take care of you because if he takes care of these things which are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more valuable are you than those things to him? And don't you know he is the good shepherd? He's going to make us lie down in green pastures and he's going to lead us beside still waters. He's going to bring restoration to our soul and he's going to lead us into what's right, into paths of righteousness. And it's going to be for his namesake. It's going to be for his glory. And sometimes that means that I have to recognize that I'm going to be uncomfortable. It's going to stretch me. It's going to cause me to have to deepen my trust in him. And to do that, I'm going to have to trust that he's good. Because at the end of the day, that's the question that we're really trying to answer. Is God really good? Is this shepherd Jesus? Is he really good? And we say things in church. Like we have a bunch of little sayings. You know, if you've been around church culture for a while, and uh, I know you guys know these sayings if you've been around church culture for a while. And, and, And here's just proof. I want you to help me out with this. You know, God is good all the time. Wow, you guys didn't even have to think about that. That's not in the Bible, but it's true, right? But here's the difference in that, in that saying. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. But, man, I wish we could add to that a little bit because I wish we could add the little tag of even when it doesn't feel good. Even when he doesn't feel near. Even when he feels distant. He's not distant, but sometimes he feels that way, Right? Sometimes we go through things and challenges in life where, man, I, I, I don't know, is God really good? And for us to say God is good all the time, all of the time God is good, that's us saying, Lord, I, I, I trust you, and I'm going to trust in your definition of goodness. And we have to submit our will, we have to submit our view, we have to submit our definition of goodness And we have to say, Lord, I'm going to let you define goodness because you are good all of the time. And I trust that all of the time you're good, whether it feels good or not. Even when I feel like I'm all by myself, even when it seems like everyone's against me, even when it seems like nothing in my life makes sense, I'm still going to trust that you are good through it all. Amen, church? And he's going to give us the rest that we need when we follow him. He's going to give us the peace we need, the provision we need when we follow him. And he gives us what we need, not always what we want. And that's where we have to trust that his will is superior to our will, that his design is superior to our design. His plan is superior to our plan. And we have to release those things because, man, we want to hold so tightly to our way of thinking that things should go because we want everything in our lives to feel fair. We want everything in our lives to feel like it makes sense and it's in control because remember, we're looking for security, we're looking for comfort, we're looking for safety, and man, sometimes I have to let go of that and I have to say, God, I I don't feel very safe right now, but I know if I'm with you, I'm safe. I know this is unfamiliar. I know you are asking me to do things that are hard, whether it's something that I read in the word that I see God commanding me to do that's hard, that may conflict with what I want, 
I'm going to trust he's the good shepherd. And even though it's, man, I really want my way and I really want to do things the way that I like things to be done and, and, and my values and my rhythm of life and even the relationships, the connections, the, the things that I've participated in, the things I've done, I, I want to justify them in the eyes of God. And I want to say, but God, I can have this too. And then but God's confronting you and he's saying, no, trust me that I'm good. And you're going to have to lay that down. You're going to have to release that thing or you're going to have to do it my way instead of your way because my way is better than your way. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And if we really believe that, it should alter the way that we make decisions. It should alter the way that we lead our lives. And that ultimately shows I trust you when it makes sense and when it doesn't. Because, man, sometimes when we read the word of God, we come across things the Holy Spirit illuminates to us and man, it, it's, it's not this relative idea of, well, this is true for you and that's not true for me and all these things like that. No, it, it's God has established truth, amen? And when he's established truth and when I come to a crossroads where I read something or the Holy Spirit leads me into something where it's time for me to make some tough choices that alter the things that I want to justify and the things that I'm comfortable with. When it comes to those crossroads, I have to trust that he's good and his way's better, even if I don't like it in the moment because he is the good shepherd. And even when I walk through tough times, he says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And, and I want us to think about that for a minute. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes it's not even walking through this idea of death, but rather it's even the shadow of death. It's like this intimidation thing. It's this thing that would want to cause fear in me, and it seems like it wants to overshadow me, and it wants to cover me, and, and, and it wants to make me feel like there's no hope. Even when I walk through those seasons and those times, he says, don't fear evil. When evil comes over you as a shadow, when evil tries to overshadow you, he says, don't be afraid because, he says, you are with me. That's why I can walk without fear. Because I know that he's with me and his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Because you know what his rod and his staff does? It protects, right? That's what these things do. When evil tries to come, he uses those tools to protect the sheep. He uses those tools to keep the wolves out and to keep those who would try to cause harm to the sheep out. And it causes protection. But then there's another use for the rod and the staff as well. And sometimes he uses those things on the sheep themselves. We don't like that part. We're like, use the rod and the staff to like, <laughs> you know, beat up the bad guys, you know, get, keep them away. But he uses the rod and the staff. That's also a tool, an instrument of correction. Because there are times when out of his love for us and out of his goodness towards us that he corrects us. And we don't always like the sting of that correction. But it still brings me comfort. Because as I'm corrected, I know that I'm loved. I want to say that again. As I'm corrected, I know that I'm loved. Because if I was never corrected, would, would I really be loved if God just let me go do whatever, whenever, however? Like, would he even love me? Does he even care when I'm drifting out of what he would want for me or what he has already ascribed as better? Would he really love me if I drifted outside and he just let me drift and he just let me go do my thing and never tried to bring me back into the fold? No, that wouldn't be very loving of him. That wouldn't be very good of him. So yes, the rod and the staff brings comfort because he protects 
and he corrects. Both of those things. And then he says, you prepare this table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, 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 you anoint my head with oil. You've claimed me. You've called me your own. You've chosen me. My cup, it overflows. You're, you're, you're giving me everything that I need. And that goodness and mercy, I'm sure it's going to follow me all of the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in your house forever because I know that you're good. This is the good shepherd. Over in John chapter 10. In verse 27, Jesus is giving this illustration of the good shepherd, and he talks about and calls himself this good shepherd. And in John 10 and verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. The good shepherd knows their sheep. And his sheep know his voice. That is this idea of when we are able to be led and trust in the good shepherd, that when he speaks, we listen. I know that that's the voice of the Lord. I know that's God calling me. I know that is true to his word and true to his character and nature and who he is. And so I I have tuned my ear to be able to listen to be able to hear, and, and if, if you're a newer Christian, or if you're someone who hasn't really exercised this idea of discerning the good shepherd's voice, I just wanna encourage you to begin to get to know God more through his word and through, through increasing that sensitivity to his voice. And you can do that through prayer, because prayer is not just a one-way conversation. It's not just where you're just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. I want to encourage you in your rhythm of prayer and spending time with God, be still, be quiet, listen. Do twice as much listening as you do talking. Oh, that's for me, okay. Because God will put things on your heart and lead your heart a certain direction to where it's different than you just having a thought. This isn't you just having a thought about something and you go, oh, that's neat. This is different. This is him leading your heart a certain direction or you begin to have an awareness of something that maybe you needed to be reminded of because that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. He, he reminds us of the things that Jesus has said and the things that Jesus has taught and brings those things up and illuminates those things to us. And sometimes it's right in a moment where you need it. Have you, have you ever had that type of thing happen? where you are frustrated about something, upset about something, or you're worried, or you're, you're fearful, or whatever the case may be, and then all of a sudden, either through reading the word, or through just, you may be driving down the road, or maybe through the lyric of a song, or maybe through uh, something a friend says to you, or whatever the case may be, and it could just be in a time of silence, and a time of meditation, and thinking on God, and seeking his wisdom and his counsel, that all of a sudden something comes back to your memory or God illuminates something to your heart and you just know that that is something that is from God because there's a peace attached to it. There's a peace that's different than just you having a good thought and going, oh, that's a neat thought. That's how God leads. That's how God will, through his spirit, through his word, through using other people, illuminate things to us. But when you come to that moment where you're aware that his voice is beginning to lead you, what you do in that is crucial. Because if you wanna grow in that as a follower of Jesus, he said, my sheep know my voice. So what you do in that moment is crucial because if you listen and obey, you wanna know what's gonna happen. 
is that you're going to increase the sensitivity to that voice, that you're seeking him, that you're tuning your ears and your heart to hear his voice, that you're putting your heart in a position where you're like, God, I want to be led by you. I want to hear. And when I hear your voice leading me and it lines up with who you are in your word, then that helps me to know that this is you leading me and guiding me. Uh, one of the rhythms that we've practiced um, throughout the years in our marriage has been that when we come to different big decisions or big challenges we may be facing is that we've always taken time out to fast where we will like actually get away from eating that day or just a couple of days or whatever. Um, the three-day fast is like the longest I've ever done in my life. Um, some of you may have done longer fasts if you practice that spiritual discipline. But the reason for the spiritual discipline of fasting is because I am saying in that moment that the things that my body needs, I'm going to deny them intentionally, just like I'm denying my flesh the things that it normally would crave and want, and I'm going to say, Jesus, you are my daily bread, and I'm gonna to try to tune and fix my heart in your direction. We fasted before we took the position here almost two years ago and before we moved here because we wanted to make sure that we're discerning and hearing the voice of the Lord, that we're putting ourselves in the frame of mind to be able to find that peace, to find that, 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 that reassurance and that, that knowing, even if it's a little scary, right? That doesn't mean all of, the, all of the fear goes away of the unknown because you're stepping out into something and you're like, oh, you know, I, I still don't know but there's a peace attached to it. I'm stepping out into it, but man, there's a peace. There's almost this, I know this is right, but, but, but man, I don't know how it's all gonna work out, but here we go, right? I'm trusting you, Lord, in this. And I'm gonna step out in courage because I believe that you have given us that assurance, that peace that passes my understanding. It may not even make sense when you put everything down on pen and paper and, and, and the rationale of it. It may not even make sense because how many of the things that God led people to do in the Bible actually made sense, right? Like, hey, go against this huge army of the Midianites. There's like, there's like tens of thousands of people in this army. I want you to take like 300 dudes with you, you know. That doesn't make sense. Hey, even though it's never rained before, I want you to build like this huge boat and put a bunch of animals on it. Don't worry about how to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. You know, even though it's never rained, there's going to be a big flood. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? Hey, <laughs> God leads David to go kill Goliath and he doesn't like equip him with like a machine gun or even the king's armor. How about some stones from a nearby brook and a sling? Okay, makes sense. All of the things that Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me, they leave their nets behind. Matthew leaves his table collecting taxes. These things, what are you doing? That, that, that's your job. That's, that, that's your security and Say, no, Jesus, I'm going to listen to your voice because you are the good shepherd. I'm trusting you're good. I'm going to follow you when it makes sense because sometimes God leads us into things, man, and it does. It makes complete sense. And you're like, well, that, God just set that up for us. That's great. Sometimes it's like this crazy zigzag path that doesn't make sense. And you look back on it and you can see God at every single decision point. And you can see how he led you through it. You can also look back sometimes and see where maybe you missed it before too, right? Or is it just me? Okay. Everybody, you ever, you ever missed it before where you're like, oh man, God, I, God was leading us, but man, we got so one track mind or we got so, you know, uh, f fixed on what we wanted that we, we missed that, that opportunity. But here's the beautiful thing. God always provides 
another opportunity. It's not a one and done thing with God. Amen? When I was 17 years old, I worked at a grocery store. And um, we had a new Dairy Queen open up in our little town. I'm a small town guy. Like I've always lived in small towns my whole life. So getting a Dairy Queen is like a big deal if you're from a small town. But we didn't have one in our little town. And I was making like four fifteen, four twenty-five an hour, right? So, you know, not, not big major, major bucks, right? And I'm a grocery sacker. And I wanted to go with my friend James to go to the new Dairy Queen. And when we were in line, there was this uh, uh, man and his little girl. And I felt this overwhelming sense of compassion and desire to buy this man and his little girl's ice cream. And I don't know where it came from. I went in there for myself, right? Like I went in there to do something for me. And I felt like this overwhelming desire to do this as a teenager who didn't have that much money, but had enough money for me, right? And I felt this desire to do it. And I was wrestling with that decision the entire time I was in line. And I knew that it was the Lord leading me in that moment as a teenager. I felt this strong just conviction and compelling to do this thing and I didn't know why. And I was standing in line, I was wrestling with it and James was even talking to me and we joked around and we were, and I couldn't even joke with James because I was so conflicted in this, in this moment. Have you ever been in a situation similar to that? Like someone's talking to me and I can't hear what you're saying because there's something going on inside of me that he doesn't even know about. And so I'm conflicted and the guy goes to reach for his wallet and I'm thinking, Derek, this is your moment, right? I can still remember it. Like I can still picture it all those years ago. And the guy reaches for his wallet. He opens his wallet and he goes and he pays for his ice cream and I chickened out, you guys. I, I didn't do it. I wish I had this awesome story of, I did it, you know? I, I followed through and then it was my turn to buy my ice cream. That was like the worst ice cream cone I've ever eaten in my life or the worst blizzard, whatever I bought that day. It was because as I'm eating it, all I'm thinking about is how I missed it, how I wish I would have obeyed. And I don't know what God was setting me up for. I don't know why God was putting that on my heart. I don't know why in that moment I felt such compelling to, to, to do that. But I'll tell you that as I sat there and ate that ice cream, I was just sitting and going, what did I do? And James is like wondering why I'm all like funky. And, 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 and I couldn't even, I didn't even have the courage to even share with James what I had missed. And I just went on and I went home. I repented over it. I told God, it's like I missed it, all these different things. And years later, when my wife and I lived in Texas, um, we were struggling uh, really bad. We were church planners. And I've shared with you guys before about how we had some financial struggles and how I had, that was like my lowest time in life. We had three babies. Uh, we have three kids and our uh, oldest is only 17 months older than our twins. And so it, we had like triplets basically, you know, in the house because we had three kids in diapers and we're already poor. We're already broke. We don't know where our next meal is coming from most nights. And I was getting all mad at God and all swole up at God and all these things over the fact that we're, we moved out here to plant a church for you, God. You know, when's it going to be our time, right? When's it going to be our, our, our time to, to not struggle? Because we just couldn't see anything but struggle. And I had gotten a job to where I was able to build a website for a company, and they paid me some big bucks. And I was super excited. We had enough to catch up on our bills, to get everything righted, and I had just a little bit that I had set aside to take my family out to eat. And I was excited because a new taco place had opened up in our town, 
and we were gonna go to the taco place, and uh, I had enough money to take my family out. So we went out, and we're standing in line, and there's a family ahead of me, and it's a pretty big family, and I felt that same feeling of, hey, buy this guy's food. And this is years later, right? That first thing happened when I was 17. This, this is when I'm already you know, married with kids. I'm probably 25, 26 at the time. And I felt God's voice because I knew the shepherd's voice. I knew that he was leading me to do this. And I began to argue with him, as we often do. God, I set this aside for my family. I, I, I didn't come here to buy somebody else's meal. Like, I, I, I wanted to, and, and so I'm like, how do I do this? How do I do this? You know, I'm a little bit more mature, but I feel, I'm feeling like that 17-year-old kid again, right? I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And am, am, am I going to make my wife mad now? <laughs> because she's, you know, like, I haven't even discussed this with, with Holly. What do I do? And so this guy goes to reach for his wallet, and I go and I tap him on the shoulder. And I was like, hey, man. And I led with this is what I said, you guys. I said, I'm not crazy. Like, that's the first thing that came out of my mouth when I tapped him on the shoulder. Just newsflash, if someone that's a complete stranger taps you on the shoulder and the first words out of their mouth are, I'm not crazy, <laughs> I said, I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, hey, I'm not crazy, but, but uh, and I felt like God put this on my heart to say. I said, but God told me to buy your family's meal. And he looked at me like you would think someone would look at you who had just said that to you. And he said, well, we're not done ordering. I said, doesn't matter. I said, you, you finish your order. I said, God told me to buy your family's meal. Okay, well, all right. And he just kind of looks at me and doesn't say a whole lot. And I'm kind of offended <laughs> because I thought, you know, some stranger offers to buy your family a meal, you're going to at least get a, thanks, man. Wow, that's really kind. I didn't get that. I'm like, you jerk. <laughs> I'm trying to obey God here, you know? And uh, I pay for the meal. He kind of gives me the guy head nod thing, you know, that thing, whatever. And I had to adjust what my family could order because I didn't have as much money now because I bought his family a meal. And so now instead of getting all the tacos I wanted, I had to cut down my desired amount of tacos. Well, okay. And Holly had to adjust her order and we had to sit there and talk about it because now what I had budgeted and allocated, it's been cut short. All right. So I buy it. It's fine. Whatever. We go sit down and Holly was like, what was that? What, what are you, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. It just felt like, felt like God wanted, wanted me to, wanted me to do that. I, I don't know. And I'm like, maybe I got it wrong. I don't, I don't know. And about halfway through us eating, he gets up from his table and he comes over to my table. He's got tears in his eyes. And he said, hey, he said, I just wanted to tell you, you have no idea what you did when you bought our family's meal. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you said that God told you to do this. And I said, yeah, that, that's right. He said, well, I'm a worship leader at a church. He said, and we just moved here about three months ago. And he said, the church is experiencing a great deal of turmoil when we got here, and it's been very, very hard. He said, and we begin to think, God, did we just make a big mistake? And we had prayed, God, you need to let us know in some way 
that you have called us to be here. You need to let us know that you're in this because we're, we're struggling right now and we just uprooted our whole family. He said, and you came and you said God told you to do this. He said, and we sat down and we felt like that was what we needed to hear, that God is still speaking to us and he's still leading us. And we felt like that was confirmation that we need to be here. So thank you for your obedience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> you know, it's like God just kind of put me in my place as I'm sitting there going, he didn't even say thank you, you know, and all this stuff. <clears throat> and I kid you not, guys, and, and, and I'm not making this up for dramatic story's sake. This, this, this is what actually happened next. What happened next was I was sitting there and it hit me. And you want to know what God re reminded me of and put in my heart? 17-year-old Derek that missed it when he was supposed to be led to buy this man and his daughter's ice cream. That was the image that popped in my mind. And it was almost like I felt the same thing that Jesus did to Peter when he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me more than these? He was restoring something. He was showing him, yeah, I'm still speaking to you and I'm giving you another chance, right? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. He missed it, right? He denied him, and then Jesus asked him if he loved him three times, and he was like restoring Peter in that moment. And then I get up, no joke, to go throw away the trash from my food, and a postal worker came up to me, and she said, hey, she said, I'm not trying to be weird. She said, and if the answer's no, it's okay. She said, because I get it. She said, but I just ordered more tacos than I need. And she said, I only ate one of them and there's like four more in here and I've got to get back to work and I've got to go now. She said, do you and your family want these? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks. But he is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. Amen, church? Amen. You see, everyone says they want to be led until he actually begins to lead. <laughs> Lead me, Lord. Oh, you meant that. Well, I, I mean, couldn't we do something a little bit more comfortable, right? Because it's not always easy, right? But as I train myself to know his voice, it helps me because the good shepherd leads his sheep. He leads us. He guides us into all truth. John 10, verse 1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another is... That man is a thief, he's a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all the sheep on his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life, and life abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep. He flees and the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they'll listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, the good shepherd, he leads us. He guides us. And he wants good for us. And here's our big idea for today, church. Trust requires that we let go of our definitions of good. Trust requires that we let go of our desire to control. And we must look to the good shepherd because he has proved his love for us. Amen? He has proved his love for us. That's who he is. He is the one who is the way. He is the gate. And he has shown his love for us because he laid his life down for us willingly. He said, no one takes my life from me. He said, I lay it down willingly. He said, but I have the authority to take it up again. He said, but I willingly lay it down. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how Christ, the good shepherd, has shown his love for you and for me. All these things are more than enough for you and I to begin to trust him. So do we know his voice? Do we trust in his goodness? How do we show that we trust his voice? It's not just by coming to church and saying amen. It's by actually obeying and following where he leads, amen? Because Jesus, the good shepherd, he loves us so much that he died to rescue us. That while we were still enemies of God, while we were still rebellious, while we were still sinful and hateful, he died on our behalf so we could live. He rose again from the grave so we could rise victorious over our final enemy, death. So even now, death has no victory over us. Even in that absence and loss and in that grief and mourning, it it has no claim of victory over us. It has no claim of victory because it's not the end for the person who has placed their hope and trust in Christ. He goes ahead of us. He leads us. So that means that the shepherd has already been where he's leading you. He's not leading you into something that he doesn't already know the outcome because he's already been there. He's not leading you into something that he has anxiety about because he already knows. So you can trust him because he's already walked that path. Every way that you're tempted, he's already been tempted. He's already walked down that road and he's overcome. And now he's leading you and he's wanting you to trust him. And he's wanting you to trust that he's good. He's wanting you to trust that he knows where you're at. He gets it. He's been walking with the sheep. He's, he smells like the sheep because he chooses to love us the way that he does. And all he asks us is that we trust, that we listen, that we obey, that we follow. That's what he's looking for for you and for me. So will you follow? Do we trust in his goodness? I love C.S. Lewis' masterpiece, the whole Chronicles of Narnia series. And in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And Susan, she says, oh, I I thought Aslan would be a man. Is he safe? I should rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
And that's true of Jesus, amen? It may not feel safe. It may not feel like everything I want. It may not feel like everything's secure in my mind, in my eyes, but he's good. And I can trust that he's for me, amen? And you can trust that he's for you and that he loves you right where you're at. So I'm gonna invite you to receive communion together as a church. When you came in today, you should have been handed communion elements that for some reason we missed you. You can go to the back and those things are still available. Don't worry about it. You can go back and grab one. I want you to be able to participate with us. This is, this is a reminder of the good shepherd and what he did. And this reminds us of the main thing that he did for us and the main reason that we call him good because he laid down his life willingly for you and for me. And now he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. There's no other way to God. There's no other path. It's not through your goodness. It's not through you trying to file in line and be a good sheep. No, it's, it's about you trusting in the voice of the good shepherd and trusting in what he did was sufficient because he laid down his life for the sheep. Is that act of love sufficient for you to put your faith and your trust to follow and obey? And if that's the case, then when you receive communion, it should remind you and stir your memory and your heart to worship so that you can further and deepen your trust in him, so you can further your submission to him, so you can deepen your devotion to him because you love him and you know he's good. So Lord, we thank you for these communion elements and what they remind us of. We thank you for this bread that makes us think about how your body was beaten on our behalf because we were the ones who deserved it, but we didn't get that punishment. You took it in our place and you didn't even do anything wrong. Thank you for that. And as we take this bread, it reminds us that those stripes that were on your back they were for our healing, that we could be made whole, that we could be righteous in your presence, that we could be someone that could be welcomed in and reconciled and forgiven. We thank you for that. Would you receive the bread together, church? And of course, this, this juice reminds us and stirs our hearts to worship as we think about the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. As we think about the baby that the children sang about earlier in a manger. As we think about all of the things that we're celebrating during this Christmas season about the birth of Christ. That the reason you were born, Jesus, was that you could come and show us the heart of God. Show us the fact that you were the fulfilled promise of God and that God is faithful and that you would become the way, the gate, the door that no man could shut, that no man could open. And we thank you, Jesus, for your blood that made a way where there was no way, that we could have access to God, that we could now have Jesus, our high priest, go before us, that we might be free, that we might be welcomed, that we might be called sons and daughters as where we were once enemies. God. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We receive this together. At the end of service, our prayer team is going to be up front. And if you don't know Jesus, 
I would encourage you to talk to one of our prayer team members. Let them pray with you. Let them point you towards Christ. And we wanna help walk with you in that. If you've been someone who's maybe been far away and you feel like you haven't been listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd, if you've messed up, guess what? We've all messed up. We've all not listened to his voice. And maybe you haven't been listening to his voice for a while. It's okay. You serve a God of restoration. So here's what you do. You repent, you acknowledge it. Acknowledge, God, I've messed up. Talk to him. He's not angry with you and wanting to beat you up over it. He's gonna love you through it. And you're gonna see how his grace and his mercy is still right there for you. And all you have to do is acknowledge, say, Lord, I, I, I haven't been listening to your voice, but I want, I want to start trusting and following the voice of the good shepherd. Maybe you missed it when you were 17. So I got it. God is gonna give you another chance and another chance. And even if you mess it after that, he's still gonna give you another chance. But you have to trust him. You have to start somewhere. You have to stop living in the past, living in regret, and you have to start trusting. Is today that day for you? Is today that day for you where you start trusting? Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you just need to tell another brother or sister in Christ, I wanna start trusting in Jesus more. I wanna start hearing his voice more and listening to him and following him. But I've been struggling. I just need someone to pray with me and connect with me on that. That's what we're here for. If you have any other kind of need in your life, a struggle, he is the good shepherd that helps bind up our wounds. He cares about our hurts and our pains. Let us pray with you on that. So Lord, help us to take that next step of obedience and trust. Whatever that may mean for anyone here, anyone watching online, help us to take that next step of reaching out to you or to a brother or a sister in Christ and let us follow you and know your voice because you are the good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.